So what happens? What happens to a person when their soul and all their God-designed cravings collide with the soul, S-O-L-E, singular, only satisfier of their souls, Jesus? What happens? Well, what I hope to do today is to describe to you the vision that Jesus had for his followers, his vision of this collision with him. From the past few weeks, I've shared with you from Acts 17, I told you how God the Father desires us to reach out for him, and he arranges the times and places and circumstances so that we might do that. He has, in a sense, even hardwired us with these soul cravings in hopes that we would reach out for him. We also talked about how God desires to be our S-O-L-E, singular craving. He wants all of us, not just part of us. He wants everything. And he knows that he is best for us. He is best for us. And I shared with you the question, how much is all? How much is all? And how do we give all solely to Jesus? We sing songs about it, but how do we really do it? And, then, and that is where Jesus' words seem a little scary to us at times. It's scary because it's when we, begin, we go, all, everything? Wait a minute, are you sure? That sounds a little bit extreme. That sounds fanatical. I'm not sure if I'm ready for all or everything. But we know that any sacrifice is measured against the sacrificial love of God when he demonstrated at the cross through Jesus Christ. And he gave all and he desires all of us. And last week we saw through Adam and Eve that God, as our maker and designer, has made us with good desires and cravings that have been distorted. They've been marred by sin so that we pursue the satisfaction of those cravings by the wrong means. Or we pursue those cravings with, and, and satisfy them with the wrong things. See, God knows that he is best for us and that he is the one who can satisfy us and supply what we don't have on our own. There is just one hope for us, and that is if we're reborn and remade in Jesus Christ, a total makeover, a total demolition, and start from scratch, overhaul. God the Father has been working by His Spirit and through His Son, devising circumstances, places, and times for us, for us here, to come back to Him through the Son. Now, look, I want you to look at this picture of Michelangelo. We, we had this... Uh, for our theme, God and Art, last year at Belshare, at the booth there. But this is a picture of, of God and man making contact. And look at God on the right. That's the figure that represents him. And he's stretching out. And he has all these angels, all these powers around him as he's leaning forward. And his eyes are focused on the man, on Adam there. And then look at Adam. He's just kind of laid back. He's not leaning forward. There's nothing in him that's going, oh, yes, yes. Instead, and his arm isn't even fully extended, like God's arm is fully extended. His arm is kind of bent, and his hand is kind of limp, and he's just, eh, all right, okay, if you want to, God. You know, and, and I just noticed the difference in that. And I just want you to know that, that maybe, maybe sometimes we're a little bit like that picture. But I want you to know that nothing has changed today and that God is still stretching and reaching and extending his hand to you through Jesus Christ. And he has not given up on us. He is still reaching for us. But the question is, will we reach back for him? He started it. Will you help conclude it? 
All right? Now, here's the picture that I want, you, I want to give you that Jesus has painted. That was Michelangelo. But here's Jesus in his picture and what, and what he thought that contact or that collision would be like. All right? It's found in John 15. And for those of you who maybe feel like your encounter with Christ wasn't exactly a sudden impact collision, but a more gradual thing, you'll be glad to know that in Jesus' picture, he describes our soul collision with our S-O-L-E singular satisfier as more of an intertwining, as, as something that grows. And we know that things that grow, it happens more gradual. Before going to the cross, Jesus gives his followers this picture. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he trims clean, so it'll be even more fruitful. He goes on to explain that we are the branches in this vision of our intertwining collision with him. I am the vine. You are the branches, he says. If a man remains or abides in me, walks with me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, what I'd like to see in this picture is the result of the intertwining, the result of the collision with Jesus, and it's this. It produces something in us. This collision produces something within us. Jesus says that if you're in him and he is in you, there will be fruit produced. There will be fruit produced. All of you times all of Jesus equals fruit. That's what comes out in that those two factors, that's the product you get. Now, I know someone looking in from the outside, hearing me talking about fruit, can really run with that statement. Martha, I told you that them Jesus-loving, Bible-believing churches, all you're going to get is just some bunch of fruits. You know, I can just hear somebody talking. That's not the kind of fruit I'm talking about, all right? Now, what Jesus means by this word fruit is that there are results There's something to show for it. There is something produced that is tangible in your life for all to see, to touch, to hear and taste at the same, and then at the same time, there's like this seed of life in it, just like a fruit on a tree, like an apple or an orange. And when others encounter this fruit that comes out of your life, it brings attention to God, not just to you, attention to God. But here is what I want you to see with this, is what, what's produced. And sometimes folks get scared when they hear these exclusive statements from Jesus commanding us to, to solely follow him and to sacrifice and give all to him. See, our experience in the world and our fears tell us, hey, wait a minute, this, this seems like a losing situation. I mean, I give everything, what does that leave me with? Nothing. That seems kind of scary. That seems kind of scary. But that, that's our fears talking. And Jesus spoke to this fear and he said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. This all or nothing soul collision doesn't leave us dead in, lost, or without. You see, the truth is, is that with Jesus, you have everything. Without Jesus, you're left with nothing in the end. Recorded in John 15, Jesus spoke more specifically about some of this fruit, some of this, this, these results that are produced from this collision. And here's what Jesus said was the main product of this soul collision with him. Joy. 
joy. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I know some of us may be scratching your heads. Just going, you mean that if I give myself solely and completely to Jesus, all of me, everything, to where there is nothing left, nothing more to give, that the result is going to be, I'm going to be joyful? I'm going to be full of joy? See, that, that, that doesn't seem to make sense to us. But that's what Jesus said, and that is the truth. Jesus spoke these words to his followers at a dinner table, and then he got up and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he was soon going to be portrayed and crucified. And what did Jesus pray when he was in the garden? Yes, he prayed, you know, your will be done, Father, not mine. But he also prayed about you and me. He prayed for us. And you know what he prayed about? He prayed about that soul collision. He prayed, may they be one as we are one, Father. I in them and you in me. He wanted this collision. He desired it, prayed for it, because he knew that's what we need. We need him. And then it, I think it's really curious that the product of this collision is mentioned again in his prayers. I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have, what? The full measure of my, my joy within them. I want that. I want that. Do you want that? I desire that to be produced in my life from my connection with Jesus Christ. So what does this collision vision that produces joy really look like in real people like you and me? Well, let's take a look at a few people. Let's take a look at a man who collided with Jesus, someone who wasn't exactly considered a spiritual person. This was a guy who may have had a few things socially going against him since he worked for what was known in his day as, as the IRS. He was a tax collector. And, and he was usually associated with a lot of scandal, whether or not he was guilty of it personally or not, we don't know. But he was associated with that guilt. And in fact, when Jesus told this man that he wanted to have dinner in his house with him, all the people around who were listening, they started muttering. They started saying, ah, he's going to hang out with a sinner. Well, you know, when I hear that, you know, that kind of sounds like someone like me. Someone like you and me, and, and I, I take great comfort in that, to know that Jesus would hang out with some folks like us. And, and, and though this man was like us, he had a very peculiar name, and, and a name not like anybody I've ever known. His name was Zacchaeus. And you, you may have heard his song. There's a little song for this guy. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come into your house today. Bear, come on down. All right, I messed up the line there in the song, but you know it. That's the SIV, Shannon's International Version. Well, what, what was the result of this invitation to friendship from Jesus to Zacchaeus. What happened? He stood up and he said to Jesus, look, Lord, in front of everybody here, I say this, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. 
And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, a son of faith. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus went from being a stingy little cheat to a generous, big-hearted man. What got into him? He had a collision with Jesus and the product was joy. And the joy of the Lord can make you do things that you've never done before. Look at the followers of Christ in the first church. What happened to them? Look at at the joy produced from their soul collision with Jesus and how it led to other fruit. After the little incident with Ananias and Sapphira that I told you about a few weeks ago, more and more men and women begin to believe and the crowds just kept swelling at the temple and and the the apostles were teaching and, and the local religious leaders got jealous because all these crowds were coming to see and hear the apostles. Now apostles, that's just a word for the disciples who had now become leaders of what was all of a sudden a church. Now, the religious leaders had the apostles arrested. They had them thrown in jail. But God had other plans. In the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord came to them and released them from the jail, and he gave them these instructions. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Go right back out and do what you are doing before. And so they did. And the religious leaders, they got up the next morning ready to bring these guys to court, and there was a little confusion going on. They went to the jail and said, where did we put those guys? Where did they go? And, and so they went hunting for him. They rounded him back up and they brought him into, into uh, the courtroom and, uh, and, and they were confounded. But they were determined to stop the apostles from speaking about Jesus. You've just got to stop this. And they started threatening them. They, started, they tried scaring them. And, and, and how did the apostles respond to those threats? Here's what, here's what they said. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Wow. He just got right back in their face, didn't he? Boldness was on these former fishermen and blue-collar workers. The religious leaders wanted to kill them at this point. They're ready. Just execute them. But there was one wise leader among those religious leaders who told them, hey, leave these men alone. For if their purpose or their activity, if it's of human origin, it's just going to fizzle out. It'll die out. But if it's from God, watch out. You won't be able to stop them. And you'll find yourselves fighting against God. Wow. He, he, he sensed that there might be something unstoppable going on here with these men. This, in other words, persuaded those religious leaders. So they just had the apostles flogged and beaten, and then they released them. You know what the scriptures say the apostles did after they were beaten and they were released? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. That's almost crazy. And even though they were threatened to not speak of Jesus again, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that is in Jesus Christ. So what did the fruit of joy look like in these followers of Christ? Joy made them bold. It made them courageous in the face of threats and danger. There was joy in obeying Jesus. No matter what. According to Gamaliel, the religious leader that gave that wise advice, there was something in these followers of Jesus that seemed like it was unstoppable. And that's what it seemed like. When after being beaten and taking this punishment, 
They didn't tuck their tails and run and go home. Instead, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. And there it is again, the evidence of this soul collision with Jesus. It's joy. Joy. Is it any wonder that a long time before this event ever occurred, the Jewish leader, Nehemiah, told the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The fruit of joy can bring courage, obedience, determination, and strength to endure. There was something produced within the soul of these sold-out followers of Jesus that caused them to rejoice. To rejoice that they had in common with Jesus, not just the good, happy things, but they had in common with Jesus the tough things, too. They were going to take the good and the bad, and with it all, they were glad. They had joy. There was something underneath the surface that was there. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about walking around with a silly grin on your face every time something bad happens. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? And I'm sure you've run into some folks that that put a good face on things when there's really no evidence of joy at all. And maybe some of you remember that that old sketch. I I can't remember what show it was done when I was a kid, but there'd always be some geezer come out. Some geezer would say, well, when I was a kid, we were so poor. We had to we had to eat dirt. Yeah, that's right. We ate dirt. We had dirt souffle and dirt surprise, and we had dirt meatloaf and dirt pudding and dirt burgers. And guess what? We liked it. We loved it, and we were thankful. Yes, yes, we loved it. No, I'm not talking about like some sort of weird, sadistic thing that gets a jollies gets jollies off suffering and, and harmful things. You know. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. This is totally different. It's just delight in the satisfaction found in Jesus. And nothing can extinguish it or smother it. Nothing. No circumstance. No hardship. No difficulty. Look at the Apostle Paul. He wasn't a part of this first church when it began in Acts, but he helped start other churches in the Middle East and Greece and Asia Minor. And Paul gave up everything, everything to follow Jesus and he, and, he, and he went everywhere and he lived to tell about Jesus. He lived to tell about him. And Paul was eventually a prison, imprisoned for his testimony about Jesus and, and he awaited on trial in Rome. That eventually led to his execution. But while he was in prison in Rome, Listen to the words that he he would write to some of these churches that he helped start. Listen to the words that he wrote to the believers in Philippi. They're they're not words of despair. They're not words of regret, saying, I wish I would have done something different. In, In speaking of his past and what he gave up to follow Jesus, Paul says this, but what it was to my prophet, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. He goes on to say that if he had to do it all over again, that everything he gave up was like a dung heap, dung heap compared to gaining Jesus Christ. Crap on one hand, Jesus Christ. Everything else in life is just dung. Jesus is the treasure. He's the pearl of great price. Everything else is worthless. Worthless. And compared to knowing Jesus Christ, he said, that's 
what I desire. I desire to know Christ. And then what does this man in prison say to those on the outside? What does he say to them? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Joy is oozing out of this guy. And it doesn't seem to matter that his circumstances really stink. Because his soul is satisfied in Jesus. What's his perspective on his troubles? He says this in relation to his troubles and his joy in Christ. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, I know the last time you probably heard that verse, it was an athlete getting ready to go pound on somebody. But I want you to know that the context of that verse is really from a guy who's in some difficult circumstances, who's facing unjust imprisonment, and more than likely is about to be executed. And he speaks and he writes with strength, with courage, and as someone living beyond himself, more than his own selfish reasons. You see, the vision that Jesus gives us of a soul satisfied in him is the picture of a vine connected to branches. Where does the vine end? Where does the branch begin? Sometimes it's hard to tell. It's an intertwining collision that demands all of us to be solely, singularly fixed upon him. It is an alignment with Jesus to where our lives are centered upon him. And the result of that Christ-centered life is joy. It's joy. A life-changing joy, like in Zacchaeus. A strengthening joy that brings courage like it did for those apostles. It's a, a centered joy that isn't fake or false, but enables us to live beyond ourselves like Paul did. It's a joy that Jesus prayed for you and me, that we would have it to the full measure. Not just part, just, not just an itty bit, but f- the full measure of his joy in us. It's, it's very unlike Michelangelo's picture. The Lord's picture of our soul-making connection with the S-O-L-E, singular satisfier, is a picture of a person coming fully alive. I don't know, maybe, maybe if that picture, maybe, you know, because they're actually not touching. The contact hasn't actually been made in Michelangelo's picture. I just wonder if, if somebody would have commissioned Michelangelo and said, what would happen if, what would it look like after that contact? What would Adam look like? You know what I think he'd look like? I think it'd be something like this. It just like, like these rays of light just shooting out. Again, a man fully alive in Jesus Christ. The joy of Christ exuding from him. And maybe in that picture there'd just be all these difficult things around him pressing in and coming down. But it's just like this would be exploding out of him and pushing out because nothing could smother it. Nothing could stop it or extinguish it. That's what I think Michelangelo's picture would look like if contact was made. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. That's his vision for us. I want that. You want that?
Yeah. Yeah. Nate, guys in the band, you can come on up. I'm, I'm going to wrap things up here. But I just want you to know that if joy, if joy is absent, or if it's just maybe a smoldering, flickering flame in your life, then I think you do need to examine your heart and your connection to Jesus. Because Jesus said the way we bear fruit and can bear the fruit of joy is by being connected to him. He said apart from him, we can't do anything. We can't have those results. We can't produce any joy, any love, peace, patience, or any other results unless we're abiding and remaining in him. The Lord has made it fairly simple for us. He says that you... You want what I, I've come to give you? Give me all of yourself. And he gives all of himself to us. He does it all. And then uh, he, he just adds one simple command. One simple command. He adds, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. What a great command to obey. Remain in his love. Yet that seems so hard for some of us. We want to run from it. We want to grab at those things. We get scared of this, this all, this giving everything. And so we start snatching at other things to try to stuff in underneath the hood to make things work, to satisfy those cravings. When Jesus is the one who can only satisfy those cravings. You know, maybe the problem is simply that you've never encountered his love. So how in the world could you remain in something that you've never experienced before? You've never had that interweaving, vine to branch, soul collision with Jesus. But I want you to know it could happen today. It could happen here. I'm going to be right over here when the song's being sung. I'd love to talk talk with you. And if you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Shannon, I think this, this collision thing with Jesus is happening. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do next. What's the next step? I'd love to be able to talk with you. Or we could go to lunch or have coffee or whatever. But I'd love to talk to you. But for others of you, I know you've already had that collision with Jesus, but the joy may wane in your life because you're like the dude in Michelangelo's picture. You're kind of, ho-hum. You know what? James, in the book of James, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You've already made the interweaving. Jeremiah said, you'll seek him and you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You know what? For those of us who've already had that collision, that intertwining, and the joy wanes, and the fruit isn't being produced, you know what needs to happen? Something about that abiding and remaining isn't going on. And it probably means there just needs to be some repentance in our life. We need to say, God, I'm sorry. I I know. I'm going to turn around from this. I'm going to turn and walk with you, abide in you. And I'm going to remain in your love. It's repenting from that self-centered idolatry that we all fall trapped to. And you need to align yourself. Align yourself to the God who is always reaching to you. He is always reaching to you. Your soul needs to become Christ-centered and remain in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, there are some of us here that, that just need to align ourselves once again with you. We've, we've let self get in the way again. So Father... We want to align and we want that fruit to be produced in our lives, Lord. That fruit that comes from being, remaining in you, abiding in you. 
And Lord, there's others here that, that may have never had that collision with you, that intertwining. Lord, I pray that it could happen and start today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.